All right, guys, today we want to do an exegetical study uh, from the book of Romans. We're going to look at those great passages, or should I say singular, the great passage in Romans chapter 10, a passage of faith. Now, we're going to look at it in its original Greek text. So we're going to do an exegesis of that passage, critical, uh, line by line, looking at that passage and what we are going to try to see what we can determine from that passage. And I just simply tell you ahead of time that we will be seeing what we call the confession of our faith. But you'll get an even better understanding of it as we work through the original Greek text, uh, which is what our intention is today. So, but anyway, we always know that before we begin to examine a particular passage, we always want to take note of the general context and theme of the passage. And Paul sets this forward in Genesis, I'm sorry, <laughs> in Romans chapter 10 at the very beginning of the chapter when he deals with his desire, his heart's desire for the salvation of Israel. And this gives us this very idea of, as Paul begins here talking about his desire for Israel's salvation, it gives us an understanding of what is going to take place when we get to those particular verses that we're going to talk about in today's exegesis. But in that full context, what he was, he was basically saying was he has a desire for Israel's salvation, but Israel missed the mark for the reason that because they missed Christ and his whole point concerning Christ. And when he says they missed Christ, that is, they failed to recognize Jesus as the, as both Messiah of Israel. That is, he is the King of Israel. And in accordance to what Isaiah spoke about, Isaiah 52, 53, to be more specific, Jesus being that atoning sacrifice for Israel. So therefore Jesus becomes the basis of their acceptance to God. Jesus is their justification. Remember, justification is a judicial term, which means to be made right in the sight of God. God is acting as a judge and he's judging someone. That is Israel, the Jewish people in this context. And Jesus, because of what he has done, he has given them a position of being righteous, a righteous position. That means belief in him and what he has done results in a state or status of being found righteous by God the Father. That's the idea of justification. So what Paul was simply saying here is they did not understand that Christ was the the goal, the end of the law. And when he talks about the end of the law, that word telos means the intended goal. What the law was intended to drive you to Christ. The law was intended to result in Christ, in the Messiah, in the work of the Messiah, all that the Messiah would do. He was the goal, G-O-A-L, the goal of which the law was given, intended to drive the Jewish people towards. But instead of them understanding Jesus 
as being this intended goal of the law, they, they rejected him. They rejected him as Messiah, sacrifice for their sins. Then that's in the book of John. That's what's going through my mind. When the Jews came and asked Jesus, what must we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus made this statement and said, believe on him whom God has sent. If you want to do the work of God, it's not that which you do to attain righteousness, to attain favor before God. It's not what you do. It's about on whom you believe that is Jesus himself. So, and this is the same idea that Paul is bringing about even right now in the book of Romans, but we're going to just still, let us continue to move through it. I'm just simply trying to give you here an understanding of the general theme, the text that Paul is talking about before we get into our critical exegesis of those precise verses eight through 10. Okay. But nevertheless, so the idea is notice once again, it's not about what you do. See, he said the failure of the Jewish people was that they were looking unto the law, their obedience to the law their adherence to the law. The law says to do this, to do that. And therefore, because I have done these things, I'm righteous before God. And no man, as Paul is saying, even in the book of Romans earlier, chapters four and five, no man could be justified by what he does. That is, remember the term justification is a judicial term made right in the sight of God, the father, right? No man can be justified because of what he does because of his behavior, because of his good living, his righteous living before God. For even in the law, that's what the law is talking about, or being obedient to the law, in the knowledge of these things, it also brings about the knowledge of sin. But I'm not going to go, I'm not going to digress. Let's just stay with the point. So what is going on? The Jews thinking that they could be made right, considered right, justified in God's sight by the keeping of the law, that is, by what they do, miss the very mark. They miss the goal of God, the intention of God, which was to send the Messiah to do these things on their behalf, things that we cannot do for ourselves. Why? Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is given of the Lord, granted by God. It is the creation and tool of God. Salvation can only be accomplished by God. You see, but nevertheless, so as he continues on saying, notice, talking about how you are saved by what you do. And that's when he talks about who shall ascend into heaven, or who shall go into the deep. But his whole point is, but notice, these are things that the Christ, Jesus has accomplished. Okay. And now with that, we get into those critical verses of verse number eight through 10. All right, so I'm slowing it down. Not being saved by what you do. The Jews, that's what they missed. The goal of God, that which only Christ Jesus, the Christ himself can do, okay? And since this salvation does not come because of what you do, now Paul begins to emphasize how does, therefore, how do we receive salvation? And it is this manner of receiving salvation that has become a stumbling block. It was, and even persists until this day, 
uh, it is a stumbling block to the Jewish people. And the reason why I say it persists to this day is because the Jewish people as a whole still have not received Jesus as their Messiah. They have not received the sacrifice of Jesus for their sins. So therefore, until you do these things, there is no salvation for no one. You must believe in Christ Jesus, which now takes us to this part here. Verse number eight. And so now let us get now directly into our Greek text. All right. And so he says, Allah te, Allah te legay. Allah is a strong negation here. So instead of the salvation by works, and that's what it means by what you do, trying to obey the law. And now we understand it in this way, just so you guys can get it as well. Because I commonly hear that. I've heard, I've heard people say, say, why do you think you're saved? What makes you saved? And they would sometimes return an answer. I don't lie. I don't steal. And I don't commit fornication or adultery. This is the same era of the Jewish people. And if you are saved in a court, first of all, here's the strong point by works, by what you do, you can never save yourself. That's the first point. And then the second point, as Paul made in the book of Galatian, if you can be saved by what you do, that is by the keeping of the commandments, sometimes they refer to as the law. If you can be saved by what you do, then Christ died needlessly. Jesus could have stayed in heaven and you could work out your own salvation completely from beginning to end without the need of Jesus taking physical form and dying. Okay. But going on. So what he says again, verse number eight, what does it say? In other words, now he's bringing the idea since a person is not saved by works or by what they do, it cannot be accomplished. What does the scripture say? He says, what? Angusu tarema, esteen en tois stomata sukai en te cardiasu. Now, it's okay. We're doing it in Greek so we can break it down to you and you can see the beauty of it. So what does he say? Angusu Tarema, esteemed, near you, the word is in stomata su. So the, the word is near you in your mouth. So notice now, remember, don't lose the focus of what he's talking about. The issue that he's dealing with is salvation, salvation. So notice Salvation here is not about a thing that you accomplish by what you do. Notice he begins, such salvation is going to be accomplished by something you do in your mouth. And it is something that is near you in the near is simply over against when his earlier statements, when he was talking about who shall go into the heavens to bring it down, who shall go down into the abyss to bring it back up again. And I didn't get into a lot of details of that, but the whole issue concerning all of that is what you do that you might accomplish salvation for yourself. These are actions that you do. That's what that, that's all that meant. Right. But here he is not so much talking about, what you do when he talks about is angusu near you. That means it is what, once again, in your mouth. Not what you do, 
But what, as he's going to later on and say, we're going to get to that part, what you confess, something you do with the mouth. So not an action you do to accomplish, not about lying and stealing, but about later as he will develop it about confession. But let's continue on with the text in your mouth. And then he says, and not only is it in your mouth is more than just simply assenting to something more than just simply the confession of something. But when he says, and in cardiosu, that means, and also in your heart. So it is something that is done with the mind. That is the mind of faith and with the heart. And that is with the heart of belief and faith is faith and belief. Same things, but that's, so he begins that statement. Let's continue. And he says, toot, Tut estin tarema taste pisteos ha kerusamun. Okay, let me, let me, breaking it down even still, and let me stay calm. This is the rema taste pisteos. This is the word of the faith. Ha karesomen, the word, or should we say, which or that we are preaching, that we are proclaiming. So what did he say? All right. What does the scripture say? The scripture teaches us that the way unto salvation deals with something that is expressed with the mouth, something that is believed in the heart. And then he says this. Notice there is this key word that you'll see here, and it is Rhema. You see that at the very beginning, Angusuta Rhema, that is the word that is near you. And then once again, he talks about what? Tudestin Tarema taste pisteos. Now that's our key term. Slowing it down again. Tut this is esteem tarema taste pisteos. Now that's your key right there. Taremo, the word of the faith. That's what he is saying. So what he means is this taught by using, okay, normally you will see in the Greek text logos, which is often interpreted word or message or statement. Okay. Word, but normally word, you see that in John one. Okay. But here he's using the word rhema. It also means word. It also means statement. The idea that Paul is trying to give us is this is a statement of faith. You have, you ever heard the term word of faith? That's what he literally said here. This is the word of faith. And he means is this is our, for those who will be saved, official statement of belief. Notice because faith here says taste pesteos. And when it says taste, taste is that definite article here. So he's not talking about so much as something that you believe. Uh, let me give you an example of what I mean by believe. I, when Jesus talks about uh, uh, if you believe without doubt, you can say unto the mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea. And, and, and whatever you believe, you know, it'll be done for you. That's an issue of belief. Same word. It is literally the same Greek term. But here, the word pisteos here means by definition, here the context that Paul is laying for us deals with a statement of faith, 
a statement of doctrinal beliefs. Notice this statement of doctrinal beliefs must first be believed in what? What did he say? Stomata in the in the mouth. That is the confession of the mouth and believing in the what? Cardia in the heart. So it is a statement of faith that results in salvation. So that is an official. What must I believe in order to be saved since I cannot be saved by works, by the keeping of the law, by the keeping of the commandments of the law. What is this in this statement of faith? This what again? Let's look at that term again. Ta rema pesteo. See the statement of the faith. What is that statement of the faith that brings salvation to the one who holds this particular position? Rhema, Rhema, who holds that position. Okay, let's keep on working with the text. And then he begins with a hearty. That, that simply means that. Hearty ain hamalageses en toestomita su koreun yesun. Okay, so let's stop right there. That if you might believe, you see where it says that hamalageses, that's what we call a sub subjunctive in the, in the Greek, which means that brings about the idea of condition based upon condition. So if you, if you might believe, see that, and that's what he's saying here. If you might believe, I'm sorry, <laughs> I said it wrong, not believe, but might confess. Homologesis means to confess. If you, because remember, it's done with the mouth and it's done with the heart. If you might confess, with your mouth, here's the thing, and I'm slowing it down here. With your mouth, kurion yesum, that literally means the Lord Jesus. Here it is being used in the accusative, which deals with the object. So you are confessing a certain, and that's what accusative means. When you look at it in the Greek, it means I'm looking at this in the objective case. So kind of like this is the thing that I'm concentrating on, right? What am I concentrating on? The Lord Jesus. That is the object of concentration here. So if you might confess, might confess, kurion yesun. Yesun is nothing more than the name of Jesus. Jesus is also being used here in the accusative. But the point is it uses kurios. Now let's talk about that particular word. Kurios in the Greek simply, it has three basic meanings. It means Lord, Master, or Sir. And you often have to look at the context. You have to look at the context to determine how you should apply that meaning. When we translate it, should we translate it as Lord? Should we translate it as Master? Or should we translate it simply uh, 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 in the polite sense? in the respective polite sense as sir. Okay. That's one. That's the way to understand it. Here's something that I want to bring to your attention too. two things. So let me bring it to you. When you look at the Septuagint, okay, the Septuagint is nothing more than the translation of the old Testament to Greek. It's the Greek translation of the old Testament. When you look in the Septuagint or Septuagint as some call it, 
The name of God, remember the proper name of God is Yahweh, yod Hey, wow Hey, Yahweh, okay? And sometimes you see some people saying in English, Jehovah, but or in when you see it in the Bible, it'll be capital L-O-R-D, in all caps. That means they are using the proper name of God right here, Yahweh, all right? But in the Septuagint, every time the proper personal name of God is used, they always use the Greek term kurios. And that is what is happening here. They, they are using kurios as they are applying it to Jesus. Now that's number one. I told you two things I wanted to bring out. The second thing is, is this. We understand as Christians, all right, the Trinitarian uh, quality of God's person. That is, there is only one God, but one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but nevertheless, one God, even as Jesus had said earlier, I and the Father are one. And remember, they wanted to stone him because of that. And the idea, they understood what he meant. They, Jesus said, okay, before you stone me, Tell me, why do you want to stone me? And what did they respond? For the good things that you have done, the good works, that's not why we want to stone you, but because you are merely a man, but make yourself to be God because you are bringing yourself as in oneness with God. So, but my whole point is this, there's one God, one God, three persons. Okay. But there, is, there will be confusions in trying to identify such persons. That is, suppose you're talking about God the Father. You can simply say God. Suppose you're trying to talk about God the Son. You can also simply say God. Let me prove that point to you right quickly. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the word was God. Now, go on down to verse number 14, and that very word, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. So notice once again, God is being applied to Jesus in John. And that's the very, as a matter of fact, that's the very theme of, of the book of John, because notice when you get near to the end of the book of, of John, what do you see? You see the bowing down and acknowledgement of Thomas. And Thomas says, you know, in our English, we read my Lord and my God. But in the Greek, he actually said this Lord of me and God of me. So there's my point here. I'm continuing. Both God, the father can be said, called God. God, the son can be called God. But there are times because there are, there is a distinction, a difference in the persons. The father is not the son and the son is not the father. The father is God who is spirit being dwelling in heaven. The son is God who was made flesh to become Messiah and an offering for sin. There are certain things that the father will never do that the son has done. The father has never felt physical pain. Why? He's never had a physical body. But the son has. The father has never died and been resurrected. But the son has. You understand the point? So we need to get a distinction. Know when we're referring both to either God the father or God the son. So normally 
in the Greek text, that is in the New Testament, when you read it, when there's a reference to God, the father, the writers would usually, especially with Paul, would simply say God. They would say God. But when they would reference God, the son, that is, they are referencing Jesus and they are referencing him as God. They use the term kurios and you will sometimes see Lord Jesus. And when you see the Lord Jesus, that is a reference to his divinity. That is that he is God. All right. So with that understanding, now let us return back to the text once again. What did he say? Homologous, uh, uh, confess, if you might confess uh, with the mouth, the Lord Jesus. Now I'm going to deal with that part. He is now saying when he says, Kurion is soon, confess the Lord Jesus. The first thing of confession is the divine nature of Christ. Or in other words, you confess that Jesus is God. He is, as we would simply call it sometimes, the God man. We call him the God man because it was God who took upon flesh so that he could be Messiah. Messiah is a human being, son of David. But nevertheless, the first part of our, remember again, what was that terminology? That tarema, that tarema taste pisteos, that is the word of confession, the statement of confession, that which we must believe, go all the way back to Romans 10 and 1, that we might be saved. What must we believe? That Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is what again? He is Kurion Yesun, Lord Jesus. Jesus is God. Now let's continue on. And Pestuses and Cardia, and take Cardia, Suhate Hateas, Auton, Egeron, Egnecron. Okay, so let's deal with this particular phrase. And also what? And believe and pastusis that you might believe and take cardia, believe in or with the heart, with your heart. What? What must you believe with the heart? That God, and notice it says, Auton Egeron, that God him raised, Eknecron, him raised from the dead. So notice again, because okay. Slowing it down. That God, God is the subject, Hathias. But what did God do? Normally in English, we say God, subject, raised, verb, him, verb, subject, object. That's the normal way that we see it in the English. But in Greek text, word order is, is different. Word order, it can, it, is, it can go all kinds of ways. And so what we see here is the auton. Auton means him. So the issue of Auton, him being placed before the verb, because the verb here is a Geron. A Geron simply means raised. Auton, that God, him raised. It is placing the emphasis upon Jesus. So notice once again, throughout all of this text, this rhema, this word or statement of confession, it's all about Jesus, that you believe what? In the first case, that Jesus is God. That you believe what? In the second case, God, 
him raised from the dead. So the emphasis on Jesus and his being resurrected by God the Father. And then it says at the very end of that verse that I'm going to lose my place. Well, okay, I'm sorry. Let me deal with that point because it's a beautiful point. God raised him from the dead. Notice, did you notice the first thing? Kurion Yesun, Jesus is God. You believe that about Jesus. Notice the second thing, God raised him from the dead. There is so much assumption that is being taken place. That is, when I say the assumption, that is the assumption of the gospel message itself. What is the gospel message himself? That Jesus came, God came into the virgin, in the womb of a virgin, Miriam, we call her Mary. And he was born into this world. He was born Messiah. And that one day he would be king. Okay. But Jesus was born, came unto the Jews, rejected by the Jews, was ultimately put to death. But he was put to death for the sins of his people. You got it? And then three days later, after being in the grave, he rose from the dead. This is Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about Christ in his humiliation. Philippians chapter 2, humiliation simply means taking on flesh, being subject to man, uh, and all of these things put to death, raised from the dead, right? Raised from the dead and it's gloria. But this is the gospel message. So notice, slowing it. Believe that Jesus is God. You got to believe that. Second thing, God the Father raised him from the dead. In order to raise him from the dead, he must be a man with the ability to die. So you have to believe that Jesus is, was made a man, that he died for our sins. So that's, the, what I mean by, that's what I mean by the assumption of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins and that he was raised from the dead. So notice, you see both things. So really, we're dealing with the function and nature of Jesus, the function and nature of Jesus that Paul is bringing about. What is the, okay, let's first talk about the nature because that's what he deals with. That he is God, that's number one. And the second thing, that he is also a man. Why? Because only a man can die and therefore be resurrected. That is the dual nature. You, this is, once again, what? Our word of faith. This is our statement of belief. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe he is also man who died for my sins and was resurrected from the dead. And, uh, and, and note, the function. The function simply means that he served the role as Messiah. That is Isaiah 53. We all know that he was wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquity. But that, that's the whole point. Function as a sacrificial lamb. So there are two things that we must believe. And that's what Paul is trying to say. And notice, and in doing so, I'm at the end of verse number nine. So Thesai, you will be saved. So notice again, he goes all the way back to the root of salvation. Salvation is done how? By a confession of faith. A confession of faith that begins with the mouth, but that is true in the heart of the confessor 
or of the believer. And that confession, that, that confession of faith deals with the person of Jesus. He is God. He is also man and the function of Jesus that he died for our sins and was resurrected from the grave. And so that deals with that. And now we get to the final verse because I was just about to spill the beans before I got there. So let's go with it. So then he says, what? Cardia gar pestuata es de casuana. Now I like that, but slowing it down even a little bit more. So he says, with the heart, for, because the, the gar that you see here, the gar, for, it, it comes first. Whenever we translate, we move that to the beginning. For with the heart, one believes. Now notice, here's what I like. Ace de casuning. Ace de casuning. That literally translates to righteousness. Or oh, we understand that the NASB hit it dead on the money. With the heart, one believes resulting in righteousness. You see it now? So you see, okay, in other words, let's go all the way back to the text. You want to be righteous before God. Paul's whole argument in the beginning, one is never righteous because of what one does. One is only righteous, again, here's the magic, because of what one believes. And so therefore this belief must be true. This belief must be founded where? In the heart. And that's what we basically have here. As he talked about confession with the mouth, belief in the heart. So notice once again here, for one believes in the heart and this result in, this results in a state, in a state of righteousness. Now, when I stand before God, God looks at me and he says, I don't find any fault with that boy whatsoever. They say, why? It's because he believes in Jesus. There is a statement. There is that statement. Tarema tes pesteos. There is a statement of confession, a statement of belief that he has. But let me finish. Let me finish. One with the heart for with the heart, one believes resulting in righteousness. Stomate de homologata ace soterion. And then he simply says at the very end, and that's what the day is all about. Stomati, with the mouth, one confesses. Notice, now here's that magic one more time. Ace soterion, that is to salvation. Or the idea, NASB hit it dead on the head again, resulting in salvation. So notice our, and that's the whole point of Paul, the key phrase here, tarema taste pesteos, the, the statement or the word of the faith that results in salvation. And what is it and to do it right? The mouth. And that, and that deals so much with the public affirmation, the public confession. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus, right? And once again, he says, with the heart, that is that belief unto righteousness, I have now what we call positional righteousness. So let me slow that down. Positional righteousness, that's what I was explaining earlier. That is, when I stand before God, that's why all believers go to heaven, right? But guess what we do know? We remember St. Paul in the same book, all have sinned, that's past tense. 
and fall short of the glory of God. That's the idea. Remember, the whole idea of sin is to miss the mark, to fall short. When Paul says, and fall short of the glory of God, that latter part of that statement, that is a present tense Greek verb. Now, what's so important about the present tense Greek verb means this. You don't, we believers have not only sinned before we came to Jesus Christ and he saved us. We sin even after. That's why Jesus said, remember the apostle, the, 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 Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, John the Baptist has taught his disciples how to pray. The idea, you are the Messiah. If anybody can teach us how to pray, you can. So therefore we beseech you, tell us how should we pray? Remember when Jesus said, when you pray. So therefore that's not Jesus' prayer. That's the, his direction for the disciples, how they should pray. But my point is, remember that he brought in the element of sin. When you pray, ask God to forgive you. These are people who are already saved. So once again, that it simply goes to what Paul was trying to say. Even though we are saved, we still sin and we have need of repentance. You also see that in 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, the we is not the we of the world, Turning to Christ, the we of 1 John 1 and 9 confessing our sins are those who already belong to Christ. Okay, but the point is righteousness is a positional righteousness, even though right now I confess Jesus Christ. And so let me bring this to a close like this, that beautiful and wonderful text, which is the word of our confession, the word of our salvation, the statement of our belief, how a person is made righteous, saved is, I believe in the person of Jesus. What is the person of Jesus? Kurion Yesun. He is God. I believe that. And what else you must believe? Also, he is God who was made man. Why? Because God the Father raised him from the dead. Only a human being can die. And the function of all of that dying was he died for my sins. So if you believe in these things concerning the person of Jesus, what does he say? You will be saved. Why? Because you now have the righteousness that God demands, that God expects in order for you to appear before God. For with the heart, one believes in Christ Jesus and what he has done, and this results in your righteousness, your positional righteousness. And with that mouth, that confession of Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, with your mouth, this results in your salvation. And so now we understand with all of that, uh, what Romans, 10 verses 8 through 10 men. I'm glad you guys joined me with that. I think we'll make a few more other videos looking at the text and trying to see what we can pull out of it. But anyway, so now we see a person is saved, not by what they do. A person is only saved by believing critical things about Jesus. He is God, made man who died for our sin. All right, see you next time.